0: Hello, I'm Dick Foth and I'd like to welcome you to Known Stories to make sense of it all. And These stories are what I call walking books, real life people, different places, different ages, different cultures, and I want to have some conversations with them across disciplines and generations and cultures in order to encourage a kind of knowing, uh, fresh lenses through which to see the world. One of those lenses will be scripture, or more specifically, Jesus of Nazareth, whose life, I believe, changed the course of the history of the world. So, thanks for listening in. Great to have you with us. It is fall 2018, and we are on the cusp of midterm elections. What a better time to do some history. For this podcast, I want to take us back to the roots of the republic. I'm on the East Coast for this conversation in the great state of Virginia. I'm with a couple of friends, and these friends both come from business corporate families in New Jersey, but they settled in Charlottesville, Virginia. One became a businessman, the other became a pastor, these two gentlemen I'm speaking with, and um, I just find this particular conversation fascinating fascinating. Not only because of who I'm speaking to, but the conditions were a bit blustery and windy that day in the springtime in Virginia. And there were school children around. And so you really have to listen up for this one because there's a lot of ambient noise, but it's real life. So here we go. I'm standing on the portico, in the portico of Monticello, Charlottesville, Virginia, the home of Thomas Jefferson. If you look on the back of a nickel coin, You'll see the building. That's where we are, and I'm here with two good friends, Peter Hartwig and Peter Sorensen, uh, who live here. Boys, say hello. Hello there. <laughs> Hi, Dick. And and uh, Peter and Peter Hartwig and Peter Sorensen have been in this area for a number of years, a bunch of years. And uh, but both of you grew up in another place. I'm going to call you Hartwig and Sorensen, just so our listeners have a chance. So Hartwig, that'll work for us. Where did,
1: where did you grow up? So I actually grew up on a farm in Nina, Wisconsin, and then in my teenage years ended up in New Jersey.
2: Okay. I, I grew up in Morristown, New Jersey, Dick, where my dad
1: worked on Wall Street, and and I was raised. Okay, so you got a Wall Street dad. Your dad was in... My dad was a corporate exec in the pulp and paper com- industry. Okay, and now here you
0: are in Charlottesville, Virginia. By the way, it's raining. We got school kids running around, so this is real life. It is springtime, by the way, in Monticello. I can look across the lawn and see tulips and flowering dogwoods, and it's spectacular. And um, it's just the place to be on a wonderful Saturday afternoon. So... Here we are in Jefferson's home, this unique place where he used every square inch. He was a farmer. He was a mathematician.
1: He was a politician. What else did he do? Well, he was also an architect. He drew the house, and he had it built. OK,
2: and he he was an architect for our, our country, our government. Like he, what did he do? Well, he this wrote the tex- test. This is a test for all of you listening. Well, he, he wrote the Declaration of Independence, which is a, a beloved document literally around the world. Governments around the world have been founded on that document.
0: So when he built this, he talked a
2: couple of his buddies into it coming here.
1: Is that right? I mean, in in terms of living not far away. That's correct. He had two very close friends in politics, and they actually all wanted to live near each other. One day's stagecoach ride away was the goal, and they actually achieved that goal. Yeah, so James Madison and James Monroe were both uh,
2: his dear friends and and neighbors.
0: Isn't that... Is it true? Did did we hear on our little tour today that that the daughter or granddaughter named... For children after those. Correct. Folks, those James Madison, Randolph. That's right. Monroe Randolph. Yeah, that's, right, that's, that's right. That's right. Uh, I, this is my curiosity. Working for. How
1: far is a stage, day? a day's stagecoach? Well, by? the, what's Ashlawn is right past Monticello. So that's within. Um, within 10 miles. Yeah, okay. way within 10 miles. Okay. And then the name of the other house is. Montpelier. Montpelier. And that's a, that's. Oh, that's quite a ways further. That's a little further, yes. That's probably okay. 25 miles from here, something okay. like that, yeah. So
0: here we are in a place that is uh, redolent with the roots of liberty, if I could be so that's sort of true wax poetic. Very true. And yet when he died and they had to the sell off part of his estate, 130 slaves were sold. How do Correct. We, how do we put this together, this, this good man with a good man in the sense of He's a good thinker. He was a son of the Enlightenment, if you will. And all of these things, and and he was not necessarily a person of faith, particularly,
2: but he respected people of faith. Is that? Do I have that right? Or is that? You do. No. Uh, I mean, even as you look through his home, there are pictures that depict different Bible scenes in his home, uh, which are pretty amazing. But if you read the Jefferson Bible, it ends with them rolling the stone in front of the tomb. In every picture. In his home, that is faith-based, is before the resurrection. That Nothing after. And, and he took the miracles out of the gospel. He did. That's what he so, did. So you have this,
0: you have this complicated, That's multifaceted right. man. I, yes. I know a lot of people like that. Well. I think all of us are pretty complicated. But so let me let me talk about. Let me go back to. Here's this person who's a thinker, an explorer, intellectually, and. Governmentally and agriculturally and all of this stuff, but he, but he, well, he doesn't call up his two buddies, but he talks to his two friends and says, "I need you to be within a day's stagecoach
1: ride." Right. That's right. Why do you think he would do that? Any, any there's little doubt that Jefferson was a people person. And even after he retired as president, Monticello saw literally hundreds and hundreds of guests that would come up here to sit at his table. And it's very obvious that Jefferson loved people and he valued relationship highly. Well, and, and his two close friends here
2: obviously ended up uh, as president as well. And so he, he obviously felt like he was, uh, he needed to have a hand in the formation of the government mm-hmm. and the continuation of the of the American government. So uh, he felt responsible, I think, in that way. So talk to me just a
0: bit about friendship. Uh, <laughs> as, as, as you know, this idea of friendship is sort of uh, central to how Ruth and I have thought about things for a long time. Um, what does what does friendship do because well first of all how, how did you guys meet you're you're both here in charlottesville now but
1: Sure. Well, I've served as a local church pastor here at City Church for the past 20 years. Okay. And about 10 years ago, Peter and Victoria Sorensen literally in a lot of ways just walked into my life, being that I had been at Princeton and then Peter had been from uh, New Jersey. We had a lot of commonality. And so when he kind of showed up at the church, we became very fast friends.
0: So you became fast friends. Yes. Sorensen, tell me, you're a businessman. He's a pastor. Tell me why you like him.
2: Well, uh, (laughs) I I think Pete Pete Hartwig is a very unique pastor. And I've I've grown up in the church. I was an infant in the church. And I've met so many pastors who who are dear and, and literally beloved friends. But the ones that I've been so close to and most close to have been ones that have wanted to impact their community. And that really is Pete Hartwig. Uh, here's a man who almost spends no time in a church office and spends every day out in the community, having lunch with people, sitting in coffee shops with people, uh, just conversing and, and bringing ministry to the street. And that's, that's where my heart is. I, I wanna impact my world. I don't wanna just pass through and, and uh, you know, end up in a grave somewhere having not touched those around me. A lot of times in a community,
0: the people who get, quote, left out of these kinds of conversations uh, yes. oftentimes are the people who are what we might call high-end people. We uh, call them the 1%, 1%, right? 1% is that those, those folks who have, who've made it in other people's eyes. But oftentimes, that making it puts you out in, a, in an ozone layer where you don't have relationships. And sometimes guys like you, Hartwig, are afraid of people like that because uh, yeah, they're you know right. they got resources and I'm not and all that sure. kind of stuff. Sure. Why aren't you afraid of
1: people like that? Well, one of the reasons was I served as a chaplain at Princeton, and okay. <laughs> so if I was afraid of them, I probably wouldn't have done much. But no, I I think coming here to Charlottesville, my children, we felt um, led to enroll my children in an elite prep school here in Charlottesville. Mm -hmm. What I found out very quickly was there was no chaplain at the school, and I think my son was the only one who had faith in his entire grade. And so being there, we began to have a heart for these one percenters who, really had no faith at all. They weren't willing to go to church. And that's when Peter Sorensen kind of walked into my life 10 years ago. And he had done ministry on Wall Street with executive ministries, and his father had really kind of paved the trail for him along those ends. And so then, Peter, you and I met 10 years ago, and we kind of sat down and began to look over the landscape of Charlottesville, and we began to talk about what we would do. Yeah, I, I
2: mean, uh, Art and Nancy DeMoss had a very uh, vibrant ministry outside of Philadelphia, and they termed their neighbors the up-and-outers rather okay. than those who were down-and-out. How, how long ago would this be? Uh, this was 30 years ago, okay. uh, plus or minus. They would they would have a dinner in their backyard for 1,000 people. Holy cow. And so Art DeMoss, uh, you know, they were extremely wealthy people, and he— uh, people have told me that at the end of these dinners that they would do, uh, they would give him their name tag if they responded, if okay. they wanted. And he was almost begging people as they were leaving, please, so, you know, tell so me you want wanted, more. So if they wanted to have a
0: discussion on faith, if they Correct. wanted to learn yes. more about Bible or Jesus or
2: just anything, the, the journey, that's, that helped facilitate that process. And he, that was, and he and his wife were unashamed. Isn't I mean they, they were yeah. very bold in their faith. And yeah. so I was actually emboldened by that and by the ministry my parents did. And so at the end of the day, you know, you, you really have to think through what is most important. Is it your image in the in the culture, in the community, or is it the fact that you represent Jesus and you may be that one person to minister to these individuals. So So
0: he, here we are in Charlotte, Charlottesville. Yes. Last evening I went with you to the country club. And a couple of hundred folks, the couples there, and you had advertised this thing about keys to marriage or whatever it was. And I've had the privilege of being here before, but I always tell the people, folks here, you know, I'm a kid from East Oakland, California. I'm not a blue blood. I wasn't raised, in, I didn't graduate from a, a real name school and all that sort of thing. So for me, over the years, to sort of learn how to engage folks in a different um, in a different strata i think that's fair to that's say yeah has has been more of a challenge but to see you guys just naturally move about and do stuff was just a hoot i really like that and uh this idea of the faith and leadership forum um part of it i, I think this is correct right. was part of it sparked when you came to the National Prayer Breakfast it was. some years ago. Absolutely right. And you brought your chief of police yes. from here. That's right. And then from there, you said, okay, how do, we, how do we
1: add to this? Right. Is that right? No, it's very accurate. So, Dick, you invited my wife, Fran, and the two of us went uh-huh. with Chief Longo and his wife. And I remember coming back from that, just looking at the National Prayer Breakfast, I humbly felt like it was the best evangelistic outreach I'd ever seen in my life. And I've seen a lot of them. And so coming but back... They, but they don't see it that way. They don't see it as sort of like, it's not a Billy Graham... No, deal. not even the least. I mean, yeah. it was all relationally driven. Okay. It was really kind of the modality of ministry that suits me well. And then coming back, begin to pray about it. And not long after that, Peter and Victoria Sorensen kind of strolled into my life. Peter had a history with the 1%, um, and that was sort of the area I felt uniquely called to. Uh-huh. And so we kind of teamed up. And what we did originally, we brought in a vice president of Disney and had him give just to talk on faith and work. And we probably had about 100 plus people that just came to hear about that. We went into our roll decks and found people that we knew were outside of faith. And our agreement was we would have a three-week follow-up about Jesus. What does that mean? Well, they listened to Al Weiss, and there were cards on the table. And if Al they, Weiss is the Disney guy? Yes, exactly. Yeah. And so what ended up happening was if they filled out a card, we would meet with them for three more weeks, to talk about Jesus. And we're now into our... Yeah, year number eight. We're into year eight. So three weeks grew into eight years of this. Okay. Yes. So. And, you, and you guys
0: meet, and now there are men's and women's meeting groups that have organically grown out of Correct. that effort. people meet essentially to talk about the journey at that moment by journey i understood that to be if there is a god is he real how does that affect my life my relationships my career my view of the world and so I just posed the question to them.
2: Do I have that right? You, you do. And so that, that one group has now grown into five groups. Three of them are men's groups. Two are women's groups. And I can tell you the most typical response we have gotten is a man, and heard one recently, a man who said, you know what? I grew up in a church. I have never heard any of this. And I'm going to have to rethink my entire life. And, and it's all to the positive because we've opened doors that he's never had opened in his heart. So... So when you say I've never heard any of this, what what is this? That, well, the fact that uh, Jesus, the Christian faith, is is something that is not only true, uh, but it's normative and something that informs every other area of life. Okay. For a lot of people who have grown up in a cultural faith, it's it's really just a Sunday exercise, sure. and it's a polite exercise. And you come to church with your suit on and you greet yeah. your your yeah. peers and. And that's it, and yeah. it ends on Sunday. As you walk out of the church, that's the end of it. Sure. And uh, what we've in, it told these people, and and Pete has done a masterful job of teaching, is that Jesus touches every area of your life every day, sure. every hour sure. of every day. So, so you're doing this as friends.
1: We yes. are yeah. very much so. Yeah. In fact, our families are extremely close. We vacation together. I'll come out, and his daughters will be asleep in a room in my house. My so we've just become extremely close friends. Well,
0: this is generational,
1: too. It is, and, and very I'm, much so. I'm, I'm
0: going to call another member in. This is Peter Hartwig II. I call him Peter the Tooth. And uh, <laughs> say hi to the friends, Peter. Hello, friends. There they are. <laughs> they're and my friends. They're Look your at friends them. already. Look at them all. And Peter is how old are you? 22. 22. So you've lived hardly any of life. Very no full <laughs> hardly life, <laughs> <laughs> but I had the privilege of meeting Peter a few years back when he was younger than 22, and we've become friends. He's accepted me as a 75-year-old whatever. But um, Peter, you've watched this, what I've just described. Now you've just graduated from University of Virginia. You're going to cambridge Mm -hmm. in the fall Mm -hmm. so you're going to go over there to be british and learn think deep thoughts and all of that but you've watched this this friendship you've watched this engagement in the city and around what are your thoughts just just toss some out there as to how you assess it how it's impacted you if if at all well i think um so i've had it I was told that the most you'll change in life are the first six months of college and the first six months after college. And most of my friends, their first six months after college have been working a bajillion hours a week consulting in D.C. or they've, um, they're trying to use their history degree or something. And I've had the weirdest first six months after college of anybody I know. I hang out with 50 to 70-year-olds three mornings a week and eat breakfast. You're strange. I'm an odd guy. And, uh, but odd guys make great fake grandkids, evidently. So... so. At that point, we got interrupted by a group of folks. I think it was—I think there was a squall, and they came into the portico at Monticello where we were standing, and um, so we had to sort of abbreviate the conversation. What we're going to do is we're going to pick up that conversation in our next podcast. So hold that thought about a young guy working with older guys and what that means for the cross-generational conversation about life, about faith, and anything else they want to talk about. So we'll see you then.